0: guys, welcome to Salem Straight Straightjacket Cafe. I did a podcast earlier and I had to stop and calm down a little because touch on censorship. I warned them, offensive language and all that. So if they listen to it, yeah, that's what they wanted in the first place. I can't help that. So we're going to cover... um, Today, before we cover things, uh, yeah, let me get to the thing. So, anyway, uh, but yeah, today is uh, Thursday, the 15th. This is pre recorded, so there might be a lot going on. The reason being, I have an apartment to clean up. They're inspecting on the 20th. It's not a disaster, just my closets need to be organized and my life is already disorganized enough. I do need my closets to be disorganized as well. It's like adding um, insult to injury, you know. So, uh, you know. Hey! Yes. Yes, indeed. So, what I'm going to do is I am going to... Uh, now, let's see what happened uh, What's today, but since it's yesterday, it's tomorrow to me. So, uh, let's go with uh, birthdays. You know, that's always a good place to start, right? Leonardo da Vinci, born in 1452, uh, yeah. My glasses are dirty, too. Uh, so, I'm having a little bit of a hard time seeing. But yes, yes, happy birthday to him. Uh, Let's see here. Um, Lita Gray was born in 1908. She passed in 1995. And so, yeah, happy birthday to the late. Happy birthday to the late Lita Gray. Hey, her last name's Gray. How about that coincidence? I don't know. Shoot. And uh yeah, uh nineteen thirty-three, Elizabeth Montgomery, the ever beautiful, yet late Elizabeth Montgomery. Uh she's known as Samantha slash Serena in Bewitched, born in LA on uh that on this day in thirty three, passed away in ninety-five. Rest in peace. She was amazing. She's also beautiful. I think she's one of my crushes when I was younger. And happy birthday to, um, as you know, I, I do like uh, baseball, and I like to also honor the ones who um, are in baseball as well. So in 1940, the world welcomed Willie Davis. Uh, he was center fielder for the L.A. Dodgers. He was born in Mineral Springs, Arkansas, and he died in 2010. So happy birthday to the late Willie Davis. I uh, you know wherever he is, he's... Really, um, he's he's doing really, really well. So, last but not least, we have Emma Thompson. She's really amazing. British actress. British actress, rather. Born in London, England, this day in 1959. Um, so, that's a birthday's um, deaths that occurred. We'll cover those. Abraham Lincoln, in fact, passed away in uh, 1885 at the hands of an assassin. Uh, our 16th U.S. president, uh, rest in peace, sir. Thank you for uh, your service to our country as president. Uh, he was a really, he was a really good president, and well thought of, uh, honest Abe. You know. U.S. Johnson, American head of the National Recovery Administration and member of FDR's Brain Trust. Passed pneumonia at age 60 in 1942. And you yeah, got one more. I have room for one more. Maybe two more. Who knows? Depends on how notable and famous they would be. Greta Garbo, yes. Uh. Passes at 84 years old in 1990. I think I looked her up not too long ago. Uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about him. He was a dictator. Oh, well, what the heck? i put on blast. Pol Pot, the uh, Cambodian dictator, reigned from 76 to 79, a revolutionary who led the you know, KHMER Rouge from 63 and 97 dies at 72. I'm not going to say anything else about it because I just really, really don't like the dictators. I don't like a lot of things, but dictators especially piss me off. It's just, you know, they have the wrong agendas in mind. They have the wrong priorities. There's somebody passed away at 36. Italian peace activist Vittorio Argoni in 2011 hmm. passed. But what caught my eye was that he passed at 36. If you want to look him up, feel free to. I'm sure it would be an interesting read. Uh, Brian Dennehy, though. Uh, yeah, a Tommy Boy, Cocoon, Death of a Salesman, American Actor. He passed in 2020. Oh, man, he was such a good one. Yeah, uh, he, uh, he also... Uh, he, he was famous for a whole bunch of stuff. Really big guy in the entertainment field of acting. Uh, as you'll recall, he was in Tommy Boy as Chris Farley's on-screen father. And uh, he passed. <clears throat> so anyway... uh Hate to see that. when expecting to see that, but hey, it's uh, it's it's a shame. Okay, so today I want to cover the um, let me get to the title: Eleven Famous Murders That Remain Bone-Chilling to This Day. Yes, from John Dene Ramsey to the Black Dahlia you can find this on all that is interesting all that's interesting rather i said so my glasses are dirty i said it sometime so of course the most famous of course one that's talked about is the famous boy in the box this is a rather um, this is a rather elusive mystery with no uh, no leads they don't know anything about it uh, it's been 60 years, and they're not even close to solving it. So in 1957, in February, on a roadside highway just outside Philadelphia, a young muskrat hunter, checking on his trap, stumbled upon a cardboard box lying in the woods. Inside was a dead body of a young boy stripped naked and mutilated. And I'll mark this episode explicit for this type of content. Just letting you know... They just keep getting better and better. I just keep finding them. (laughs) Anyway, so he didn't tell anybody. He was terrified if he reported the police would come down on him for his illegal traps. Yes, he had something on There's actually a picture of it online. uh, In black and white, of course. So then uh, a few days passed and a braver soul found him. The boy's body lay cold and rotting alone in the woods. The boy had been somewhere between three and seven and had undergone terrible neglect. He was small, malnourished, and unkempt. His hair had been cut around the time of his death. it still clung to his body. The body itself was covered in small scars, most notably on his ankle, groin, and chin. Whoever did that has a special place in hell, I guarantee you. Only one small act of care had been given to the boy abandoned naked in the box. Whoever killed him wrapped him up tightly in a blanket before leaving him to rot. It was the only hint of love he'd been shown. Now, that's highly ironic. You murder a small kid, yet you bundle him up after he's dead. That's quite ironic and also quite sick and twisted. Anyone would do that to a child to begin with. So the police fingerprinted the boy, hoped they would find a match, but nothing came up. Hundreds of thousands of flyers were sent out to the surrounding area, begging for information about the unidentified boy but no one came forward and his parents never claimed him as their own which is really sad you know uh it's it's really bad Uh, it's really bad when people do that i mean people have lost all humanity they've lost all uh, they have lost all sense of humanity and it happens more and more every day, and people are just more sick and twisted. I don't know if there's something in the water or what. So investigators tried everything they could. God bless them. They analyzed the evidence from the crime scene, from the cardboard box and the blank. He was wrapped in every clue they found, but yet led to all the dead ends that they could run into. More than 60 years later, it's America's most famous murder. And it remains unsolved. Nobody knows the identity of the child child nor his parents or how he ended up naked mutilated in a box in the woods. Now, of course, if you know anything about this whatsoever, uh, please, please, by all means, contact the authorities. Someone might still know something. Someone may have told someone the secrets to this. Uh, Please, by all means, call your local law enforcement agency if you have any clue whatsoever what happened who the kid is Who his parents are and uh you know it's, it's a really uh sad sad deal it really is and uh senseless absolutely senseless so uh you hear about the black dahlia murders it's a metal band i believe uh Elizabeth short aka the black dahlia so what was a black dahlia right well she is an aspiring actress who won actress who wanted to be famous more than anything else in the world. She never could have imagined, though, that she would earn it as a victim of a brutal murder that has haunted America for decades. This happened January 15th of 1947. There's a picture of her on the ground, um, dead in black and white again. Uh, A young woman and her three-year-old daughter Poor kid stumbled upon the 22 year old Elizabeth Short, horribly mutilated, lying in the grass in the LA residential neighborhood. Her body completely chopped in half. That's twisted, man. The two pieces of her body were set about a foot apart. Her intestines had been removed, folded up, and then shoved back into her gut. There were ligature marks on her wrists. Pieces of her skin had been removed, and her body had, complete, had been completely. Drained of blood. Kind of reminds me of Dexter with the ice truck killer. Uh, He would drain them all of blood. There's not one piece of blood remained. So this kind of reminds me of that. Maybe that was the inspiration for the ice truck killer. Although, I don't know that for sure. Just a theory I have. Uh, The worst part was her face. And why was it the worst part? Because the killer had opened it from the corners of both sides. Of her mouth to her ears, permanently etching a joker-like smile on the young woman's face. That's twisted. Uh, There's also a picture of her uncovered cut in half. Absolutely terrible. So one week later, an editor at the Los Angeles Examiner received a call from someone claiming to be her murderer. He kept souvenirs, he said, and he'd been sending them over in the mail. He made good on his promise. Four days later, a postal worker pulled out a letter addressed to the examiner. Inside was Short's birth certificate, business cards, photographs, and her address book. Like so many other famous murders, this one's ensuing chaotic media circus. Only obscured the investigation. The police were overrun with too many tips. Filter out the truth from lies. And they interviewed 12 possible suspects to more than 60 people who tried to insist they were the killers, but never managed to make a single arrest. Boy, that's only number two. Number three, the Lizzie Borden killings. I think I have mentioned her on another podcast and maybe this, um, but I'll go ahead and give you the rundown in case you haven't heard this yet. So Andrew and Abby Borden were uh, the most, uh, arguably, the two most famous murderers in all of American history. So what happened? August 4th of 1892, that's 1892, this is quite old. Started off like any other day in the Borden family. Andrew started the morning by going into town to deal with some business, leaving his daughter Lizzie, the 32-year-old Sunday school teacher, at home with his wife Abby. And the family's maid, Bridget Sullivan. So when Andrew returned later that day, his wife was nowhere to be found. Lizzie told him that Abby had received a note and gone to visit a friend. Abby, though, hadn't gone anywhere. At that very moment, she was just upstairs lying dead in a pool of her own blood. That's pretty brutal. And uh, chilling at the most, you know, you have a dead person in your house, and you're going to lie, and said they went out. Uh, Lizzie helped her father to relax on the couch and take a nap. She tried to convince Bridget to leave the house, telling her about a department store sale down the road. But Bridget turned her down. She wasn't feeling well. To Lizzie instead, she went to her bedroom, laid down and fell asleep. So Sullivan, his rest was cut short by a fit of screams and shouts. Lizzie was screaming that her father had been murdered when Sullivan rushed out. She found Andrew laying dead on the couch, covered in blood. His face was so badly disfigured, he was nearly unrecognizable. So in a panic, Lizzie remembers their stepfather Abby should have returned home by now. She asked Sullivan to check for her upstairs. The search, though, was short. Sullivan only made it halfway upstairs before he found her hacked to death with a hatchet. And Abby received nineteen blows with the hatchet, and her husband had been hit. Eleven times, beginning Lizzie was not a suspect, but after a friend caught her burning one of her dresses as it was stained, she was arrested and put on trial for the murders. So basically the court cleared Lizzie of all the murders, but there wasn't enough, there wasn't enough concrete evidence against her. The offense provided witnesses that gave Borden an alibi, and they just couldn't believe that the female sunday school teacher would ever be capable of such crimes there are about a lot of theories proposed as what might have happened some put the blame on lizzie others on sullivan and still others say that the girls committed the killings together but more than 100 years later mystery remains unsolved check my time here all right so i'm almost 18 minutes and i get 30 minutes Next, we have the famous JonBenet Ramsey. Um, you know, everyone knows the six-year-old JonBenet Ramsey. <sighs> For more than two decades, has kept the county's att- or the country's attention, I should say. Country's attention. My glasses are dirty. At the time, of her death, John was a well-known beauty queen who lived with her parents, Patricia and John Ramsey, and her nine-year-old brother, Burke, in Boulder, Colorado. And I believe this house was bought by somebody. They live in it now, despite the history. On the morning after Christmas of 96, the Ramsey family's lives were flipped upside down. Patsy calls police in panic, said she found a ransom note for her daughter, a three-page note demanding that the affluent Ramsey family pay $188,000 for a safe return to Bonet. Jamene had been hadn't really been kidnapped. Just hours later, her dead body turned up outside the family's own home. And after examination of the body, it was discovered she had, that Bonet had been sexually assaulted and sustained a fracture to her skull. The six-year-old had also been strangled by an apparatus made from one of her mother's paintbrushes. Jamene's death was ruled a homicide, but mistakes made by the police at the crime scene would make it nearly impossible for the killer to be found. The Ramsey family was suspected of conflicting stories and the fact that the ransom note was written on paper from the house. Ultimately, John and Patsy were never indicted for the crime, while Burke has been suspected by some. Many other suspects were questioned and investigated by police, but none led to any answers. Uh, to this day, the tragic death of John Manet Ramsey still remains unsolved. Uh, Next, we have the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Uh, yes, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. What was it? In the late 20s, the Chicago gang war came to the crescendo with the deaths of seven men. It was a bloody scene that will live on in infamy as the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. So um, Al Scarface Capone organized his a way to get rid of his rival, George Bugs Moran, once and for all and cement himself as the top dog of the Chicago mob scene on the morning of February 14th of 1929. This case is almost uh, 100 years old, almost, uh, about eight years. Uh, the four of Capone's men arrived at the Moran's warehouse where he illegally distributed liquor. It is believed that the Capone is elite. It is thank you. It's believed that Capone lured Moran to the warehouse by pretending that one of his bootlegging ventures in Canada needed assistance. So, five Moran's men answered Capone's call, accompanied by two car mechanics, and those were the ones that were killed. Albert Weinschenck, the last of Moran's men to arrive, exited his Cadillac sedan on the street, made his way warehouse to the warehouse, into the warehouse. He was accosted by two police officers who found him inside. Moran's men, believing they were arrested, lined up against the wall, their backs to the police, all remained silent as to not out their boss. The men who would stopped them, though, weren't officers at all. They were two of Capone's men in disguise. Crafty. Once uh, Moran's men were lined up against the wall. Two of Capone's thugs, dressed in plain clothes, stepped inside with submachine guns in their arms. They railed them in with bullets. Six of them died on the spot, but one lingered uh, on painfully for hours until he slowly bled out in the hospital bed. Bugs was never hit, and the man mistaken wine-shank for Moran, a mistake that saved Bugs' life. Capone was the obvious suspect, but he ended up evading police and justice. No one was ever brought to trial for the murders. Capone never took credit for the violence and bloodshed during the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. And uh, next we have the Lindbergh baby. Yes, I have always heard of this, and it's a very heartbreaking case of the kidnap of a 20-year-old George Charles Augustus Lindbergh Jr. Thank you. It had gone down as one of the most uh, famous murders in American history, and there are a lot of them, so you know. in a nutshell, because I'm running a long time, this happened in 32. Charles Lindbergh Sr. was a famous Aviator who achieved celebrity status as he flew solo across the Atlantic. So he basically earned his son's room and found a ransom note on the windowsill, as well as a broken ladder outside the window, and the note demanded 50 grand in exchange for his son's safe return. Back in the 30s, that was a lot of money. Now it's just a drop in the hat for some people each year Some I say. <sighs> Over the next three months, the Lindbergh family. With help from the FBI, desperately searched for the missing baby. And with senior actually paying the enormous ransom to the kidnapper. Kidnapper never held at the end of, the body, end of his bargain. And the senior would never see his kid again, sadly enough. On May 12th of 32, though, uh, they found his body uh, dead just over a mile from his family's mansion. He had been dead for at least two months and believed he died on the day that he was kidnapped. A skull, His skull had a hole in it. His bones had endured several other fractures. Some of the child's body parts had been chewed off. Animals that appeared had gotten to the body first. So what happened next? Right? So a German immigrant with a criminal record by the name of Richard Hauptmann was arrested. Uh, and he was actually, uh, had used some of the ransom money. And uh, Hopman was found guilty of the crime and sentenced to death in the electric chair, which occurred April the 3rd of 1936. Next, next, Sharon Tate. Yes, I can tell you all about this. The Manson family decided they would go there and murder them, right? Helter skelter on the wall, which was a reference to the Beatles. I've seen this several times since I started podcasting YouTubing. <sighs> boy, oh boy. And, you know, they were all they were just really just hatefully killed, you know. But Manson uh was sentenced to life in prison with his parole denied, and he died two years ago, so that's all deal on Sharon Tate. You can look them up. Of course, we have Nicole Brown Simpson and Robert Goldman. And this was a really this trial was a very famous trial involving the ex football star O.J. Simpson. Um, he was married to her in nineteen eighty five. Had two children. Their relationship was uh, laced with domestic violence quite often. Nineteen ninety two, she filed for divorce, and June twelfth, nineteen ninety four. Nicole and Ron were found brutally murdered outside of Nicole's Brentwood, California home. And you know, this is uh of course we all know the trial if the gov if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. And there was all kinds of problems, you know. So OJ Simpson got out and uh to this day he's out there walking around. So you know, a lot of different opinions about that. Uh, Dorothy Stratton. So who was Dorothy Stratton? She was an 18-year-old girl, who worked at a Dairy Queen in BC, Canada, and met Paul Snyder, who was just the man of her dreams. And so she moved to Los Angeles to do Playboy's 25th anniversary Great Playmate Hunt. Snyder latched himself onto Stratton's, Stratton's rising star and intended to make him rich. Uh, so Hugh Hefner saw the same potential in stratton and declared she was going to be the next marilyn monroe so what happened to her well uh, stratton called off the engagement i believe and started taking a strange interest in guns and hunting he bought a 12 gauge and took a few shooting lessons um starts conversations that Playboy had a policy to not print nude pictures of a girl if she got murdered. So on August 14th, 1980, Stratton visited Snyder at the home to discuss property settlement and offered him the divorce. However, Snyder would take the opportunity when they were allowed to make his move, so he shot with a 12-gauge shotgun through the eye, killing her. Then he raped his dead wife's body. So yeah, he called off the marriage, not the engagement. Uh, so he raped the wife's dead body, a little necrophilia there, before turning the shotgun on himself. Uh, wants, supposed to be a, one of the next big Hollywood stars. Instead she's a member of the uh, she's a member of some horrific circumstances those people in that group she was grouped into probably you know it was just an unfair murder and you know uh, it was just bad so anyway this has been part one i'm gonna make a part two and of course this will be queued up for uh for you listen to on thursday it's wednesday right now uh so i'll see you in part two <laughs>